Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find a whole bunch of information there. And now, without further ado, we have our guest for today, who is Keith Blanchard, and he has a book called Homecoming, Crossing the Bridge to the Soul. And I know it has something to do about being on board an alien spacecraft. Thank you for coming on today. Hello, Gary. Um, since this is pre-record, I couldn't understand the word you said. Your mic is just not even there. It's breaking up greatly. Hmm. Um, oh, it sounds wow. okay through my headphones. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to let you know that I'll do my best to distinguish. Okay. Um, so uh, how did you end up on board an alien craft? Didn't hear you. I'm sorry. How did you end up on board an alien craft? Still don't hear me? That last thing you said was great. Do you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. Clearly. Before it was just out of there. <laughs> hmm. So how did you end up on board a, a uh, alien craft? <clears throat> well, this has been happening all of my life, uh, going way back yonder. At the age of about eight or nine years old, I would often find myself standing in a pitch black backyard. Now, being raised Catholic, uh, believing in boogeymen and devils and afraid of big dogs, whatever, a nine-year-old boy would not want to be outside at that time of night, at two, three in the morning. I would just find myself aware, standing in the middle of my backyard. Um, the first time it happened, I looked around the back of the house to find something tall enough so I could stand on it because I'm a short stature guy to be tall enough to lunge myself through the bedroom window so I can go back to bed. And this would happen at random, but somewhat often. I, I never had any fear. Um, I would always strangely <laughs> or, or obviously when I would come back to a state of awareness standing up in the backyard, I would always look up into the sky for a while. This went on for about two or three years. All that being said, it was just, a, you know, I thought I was just very, uh, had a powerful imagination and left it at that. At the age of about 33, when I started walking this spiritual path, I was watching a program on the Discovery Channel. I was 33 years old at this point. And this program was about aliens. And at one point, somewhere about halfway, just over halfway of this particular documentary, I had a full conscious, full-blown recall of the who's, the where's, the when's, the why's, so to speak. And I knew in that moment that at the age of eight or nine years old, my time with these others was about them manipulating my energetic system so I can be prepared for the time when these divine men, these avatars, these God descents, if you will, who were on earth, one was on earth. Um, and there's one now that I'm blessed and fortunate to be in proximity with, but to prepare me and shape me for the entrance of these arrivals. So I can be empowered, imbued, impregnated with higher information 
so I can be the teacher that I am today doing the work that I do. But this is how it all started for me. Mm-hmm. So, so these aliens have some type of spiritual agenda? Absolutely. It well, depends on which ones we're referring to. But when I talk about the difference between all, you have to excuse me, I'm having some audio issues. My mic does a glitch. And then my mic drops out for about five seconds. The ones I call aliens are the bad guys. These are the people you don't want to hang around with. But the ones I call extraterrestrials or others are of a higher nature. And yes, they are very connected to spirituality. In fact, an alien-human hybrid I was fortunate enough to hang around with for four and a half years by the name of Nucleus 8. We can get into some of that if you like, and it gets really crazy. But they actually call God, (laughs) lovingly, they call God breath. And if we think about the analogy or um, how we describe God, that which gives life to man, breathe life into man, so forth. But they're very connected to the higher intelligence, that's for sure. Hmm. So we have a good group of aliens and a bad group of aliens? Just like people, there are good and bad embodied everywhere on every possible reality, every possible planet, all over the galaxy, all over the universe. Now, they may be... um, almost compartmentalized, you know, certain parts of the galaxy or galaxies, they may have a group of beings that are, you know, predominantly uh, one way or the other. But I think Earth uh, is is the magic spot. It's the G spot. <laughs> well, uh, we have um, a mixed bag of tricks. We have like a spiritual gumbo here. Um, we got all kinds of people here, and, you know, into whatever depth, into whatever level. And so I think the Earth is going to, when it does graduate, it's going to leave such an amazing explosion of light. It's truly going to affect everything, not only in the solar system and our galaxy, it will change the universe. That's the whole point of the, uh, this experiment of the human being to be on Earth. This is nothing like this has ever happened before. You know, uh, they're highly evolved extraterrestrials or celestials, absolutely. But never has been the realization of a being to the level of God been uh, an elevation or an ascension process to the level of God than the human being, hence the prophecy of heaven on earth. Jesus was one. He came down from a heavenly realm to occupy the seat of earth and become this and become this embodiment of light. Same with these avatars that I'm fortunate to hang, hang out with. But just like all of us, we're all aspiring to that greatness. And nothing like this has ever happened before. And so there's going to be an amazing burst of light throughout the entire cosmos when, humani- when humanity finally does get the aha collectively, that's for sure. Does that mean the end of humanity? One aspect of it, <laughs> the unconscious aspect of it. But it will, it will be the birth of true humanity, the word humanity implying a unity of humans, humanity. Um, but, you know, the world as we knew it a year plus ago, it's on its last exhale. I mean, there's nothing left. Now, many people are holding on for dear life to that world, and they want it to come back, which they really don't. You <laughs> really don't. But all that being said, now is the time to gather your things, to gather ourselves into this amazing center point of balance, because whatever we think, whatever we believe, whatever we don't think, whatever we don't believe, it's all going to show itself and say hello. This is some of the lessons I've learned throughout my time with these others, that linear time is depleting. 
There's no more time. And I don't mean there's no more time as if it's we better get busy because there's no more time. Literally, time is depleting from us. It's fleeing. And so everything that we're carrying in our subconscious, excuse me, that may be unhealed is simply going to reveal itself and say, hello, do you remember me? And so we got to get busy. But um, as far as we are starting off on the extraterrestrial idea, they're here truly to support the ones who are of a lower vibration. They can't get in anymore. And the ones who have a lower vibration that are here already, they can't get out. They're trapped. So the vibration of the earth is exponentially lifting. And so the denser the matter, um, it will it cannot penetrate the light in or out. It's a two-way highway. If this happens, does this mean the end of sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Dear God, I hope not. <laughs> I say that because I'm a professional rock musician. Not so much into the drugs. Those days are behind me now. But the other two, I'm pretty good with the sex and the rock and roll. So, um, no, I think it's actually, I think it's going to get deeper and more sensual, if you will, and more rocking, if you will. I think the further we fall into ourselves, because the world out here is not the new world. That's not the new world. That's the one that's dead and or dying. This is the new world, the one that we find inside of us. Seek ye the kingdom of God within, if you will. And so in this readily available place is where we're going to find all the all the rock and roll and all the sensuality and all the spirituality. So as long as we keep looking outside of ourselves, try to find balance in a world that is full of chaos, you're going to get knocked over every time in this present day and age, uh, in this time that we're living in. Like I said a minute ago, there is no more time. And so it's simply a reflection of what we want. But when it goes back to some of the earthly things we like, uh, be it sex, food, rock and roll, or whatever it is that we lean on into this world to have some sort of entertainment and or recreation or simply just fun, it's actually going to get deeper and greater. But if you're such a one who is so dwelling on a system that has fallen with the system, you're going to crash as well. Who are the people that are still hanging on to this old system that's going down? People who live their whole life by a dogma, not necessarily religion, but that is included, dogma, just a belief system of what they were told by others, and they bought into it wholeheartedly. But when you live wholly in the heart, you get to shatter the illusion. Those people who live by dogma, those people who live by belief, I'd say the umbrella term would be ignorance, simply those who are truly ignorant of the way things really are. Well, Keith, who are you to say how things really are? Well, you can ask that of any spiritual teacher, anyone who is, quote, illumined by their level of joy. So if if we're looking for some sort of measurement stick or barometer that gauges the path uh, that one may be on to be, well, I'm on the path. Well, how do you know that? Because joy and bliss and ecstasy abound within me. So I think everybody including those people who may not be able to enter the new world are looking for the same thing that everybody else who has already found it. They are looking for joy, but erroneously, they don't know how to get to it because all they have in their mental spiritual toolbox are those very limiting beliefs. So anyone that fits under that in that category would be candidates for not being able to reach their fullest potential, which is to become the embodiment of a much greater bliss than any of us has ever known on this planet. So how do people achieve this bliss and joy? First thing is you have to want it. What is the it that I want? It doesn't matter what it is. A person has to want 
my mic did that again. A person has to want it so, to use a word, badly, that they're willing to allow the part of themselves that they've always known to die. It has to die. And my condolences to whoever you are. You, we cannot bring nonsense into paradise. Anything that is cancer, cancerous in nature simply won't be allowed in. Um, Can you be specific of like what that is? Like I said, first, you have a person would have to truly want it, be willing to put aside right. everything that they have known to make room within someone, to make room within themselves so something else can fit. Are you take, talking about like getting rid of hatred and greed and baggage, selfishness, hatred, greed, fear, yes, things like yes, that, yes, all that, judgment, all of that. judgment, um, okay. judgment completely, and calling people names simply. Um, any of these attributes that you've named so well, Gary, is just not going to make it. You know, in order to get to that place that you asked the, the question about, is one, like I said, you have to want it. Two, you have to be willing to know every aspect that you think you are is going to die. And when you are okay with that, then you start moving inward, which is upward, which is forward, which is toward. And until then, someone is just simply going to meander around in a circle, you know, trying to run with one leg. You're just going to spin in a circle and exhaust yourself. The world today, spirituality has never been hard. It's never, it's never been about hunkering down really hard in meditation and trying to meditate so hard that you're squinting and you're chanting so much because you want it so bad that you're chanting really loud. That's all cool stuff, and it does have a benefit. But those who are participants of this new plan are those who simply just stop, stop fighting. Well, what is it I should stop fighting? It doesn't matter. As long as you include the word of fighting of anything or an efforting or struggling or straining or stressing about something. It's not of the vibrational nature of something that is so simply laid out. It's just everywhere. And it requires a person to simply lay in themselves and be calm, be quiet, be still and know. And then everything becomes visible. Suddenly through the silence, the new world appears. So no matter who a person is, when they're able to be so still, and I don't mean just not moving, I mean still, completely still as a the process in your, your mind, there's no chatter, there's no noise, there's nothing just always firing off because we were we are habitual thinkers. When we can find that level of clarity, then we get to see another language. How do you, like, I understand what you're saying. However, I find it difficult to imagine that this is the time that this type of awakening would be happening when the world seems to be, for lack of a better word, it seems like it's just turning into a shit show, basically. Yeah, I, totally. You know, as I look out and about into this old creature that's creature that's dying, I see the same thing. But I've done a lot of work, and I've turned inward, and I've realized, and I don't mean just realize, like I understand self-realization that the universe in here is much greater than the universe out here. And so this is now my dominant. And this is sort of the reflection of not only myself, but the collective world, how all of our nonsense has manifested into what we see outside. But equally, 
as I look out about in social media and other other places, even in my own life, even intuitively, there's a great shift that's happening. But in order for that shift to fully um, come full circle and complete itself, all the nonsense has to be burned out. It's like when we were kids, we would drink out of a water hose, right? But we had to r- run the water for a while for mm-hmm. the hose to get clear. So uh, it's muddy for a while. And so what we're seeing likewise is the the mud of all of humanity just playing itself out. And, you know, because we're not clear, that is one of the most amazing things I've ever I, you know, I still say it to this day. Clarity is everything because of non-clarity collectively as well as individually. Hello, 2020 <laughs> lockdown. And so, but, you know, as we look out in the world, I see the chaos, Gary, I do, and it's getting loud and it's going to get louder. So when I mentioned a little bit earlier about getting out of the fight, oh, Keith, don't shoot me, stand up and fight for something. Why not stand up and support something? Because if we look at our two possibilities in this world of duality, we can water the weed or we can water the plant. And whichever one we give our attention to, the weed, the outside world, it will continue to grow. Now, it may grow for John Doe, doesn't mean it's going to grow for me and vice versa. Likewise. So at this level of the game, everyone will get exactly what they want. Myself and someone may be standing next to each other and my reality may look completely different than the person standing next to me. They be maybe bent in half in a level of absolute terror and cannot possibly understand why someone, whoever that person may be, is just standing there weeping because they're just so filled with ecstasy. And so it's truly, the outside world is truly a reflection. I see the nonsense, but I also see of something very beautiful. And well, Keith, that's kind of crazy. How can something uh, full of chaos be beautiful? Many years ago when I was in a relationship for 10 years and she broke up, it was horrible. It was the devil many years into the future, in hindsight, was the most amazing thing that could ever happen to me. And likewise, when I look out into the world, I see a world awakening and people are making choices. Those who make the choice for joy will get just that. And those who choose to hold on to the energy that's losing its breath will get just that. They'll gasp. Interesting. Just last week, my wife asked me for a divorce. And now I'm going to lose half of everything I have. Your life completely sucks. <laughs> so you have a plan? <laughs> no, I didn't have one either, bro. I I know that feeling, that gulp in the throat. Yeah, it's bad, man. But I want to ask you another question. I mean, you, you we've you, you have this like UFO experience. Um, you're talking about this awakening and you know humanity kind of reaching this. Um, sort of nexus type of point. And I'm also looking at you and, you know, you're wearing a headband with some crosses and stuff on it, which, you know, I guess it's some kind of, I'm assuming you're a Christian in faith. How do all these dots connect? I'm a Christian. I am a Buddhist. I am a Muslim. I am a Hindi. I'm a Jaini. (laughs) I'm either all of them or none of them. This is just garb I wear, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How do the dots connect? Well, there's a thread that wins its way through everything. We can call it God. We can call it source. We can call it the quantum mechanical unified field. It doesn't matter what we call it. 
what matters is if that thing that holds even things that we see as separate together, you know, we look across the room, we see a chair, we see a TV, we see a whatever. And it's convincing that it's separate from us. But the empty space between myself and that thing I'm looking at is God. It's the empty space. It's the spirit, if we will. The solid things are spirit as well, but this analogy works better if we look at the empty space as a spirit. So without the spirit being the generator and the connectivity of everything, if you remove that, nothing exists. So everything is ultimately connected to the source. Sort of like if you have um, a quad box and you have a lamp plugged in and a lamp plugged in and a radio plugged in, all the, we are, everything has to be plugged into a something. Seeds grow forest after forest. And so, likewise, we're all connected to some sort of spigot or tap or generator or source. Um, and so, the threads throughout religion, it's very easy. It, scriptural books are, are very cool. And they create a lot of guidance. But if you really want to be able to navigate your scriptural book in a very beneficial way, just remove all the extraneous nonsense. Find the common thread that is spoken of about love, peace, healing, support of fellow human beings. And then all these religions come together. They come together as a humanity versus one fighting wars in the Middle East over insanity. So our common thread is our humanity, our love, our love for a beautiful world and everyone sharing it equally. And the, the extraterrestrials are higher when she had to say the same thing because a lot of these craft I've been on, they're not bound by these uh, or separated by these invisible lines we call counties and states and countries and borders. They don't operate like this. Aboard some of these craft that I've been, in fact, probably most of them, there are races of all different beings and mostly children. Hmm. Um, on these crafts, uh, well, one, are these crafts mechanical or the organic? And do these um beings do they, are they able to travel through time and dimensions the ones who are using hardware craft to move about the universe or of a lower vibration <clears throat> excuse me in higher in vibration it will climb the higher the intelligence so those who are bound by certain structures certain tracks to move around navigate around uh, they're using hardware craft and the ones uh, that I love talking about the higher level uh, intelligences um, because they are operating in, with an intelligence imbued with light. So for so therefore their conveyances are imbued with the same light. They are able to travel beyond a particular bio track. And yes, they are able to punch themselves in and out of different dimensions. Now, some of these extraterrestrials on an even higher level, we call them celestials. And they don't need craft at all. We call them angels, right? So they're able just to simply use their will and punch a hole open in any said dimension and just simply play in it. Now, again, we go to the higher extraterrestrials. They operate on these levels of light as well. That's why when I go aboard these craft um, on any night that I'm yanked, I've never been taken beyond my will. Never, ever, ever, ever. I've never been violated. Um, I find myself, my microphone, <laughs> I find myself in a craft. At first, it starts off in a very seeing with my eyes kind of way. I look around, I see children everywhere, all these different multifaceted little beings bouncing around. Children are what drives these craft. 
as well as the, I'm looking for the right word. I don't want to say agenda, as well as the mission of most of these highly evolved civilizations, because it's the excitement, the wonderment, the curiosity, the awe, the innocence of children that fuel, if you will, these higher in civilizations mission. But when I get aboard these craft, at first it starts off in a, a physical way, if you will. I can see individual people. I hear people talking, hello, Mr. Blanchard, or whatever it is, how it goes down. But once I get my wits about me and I say, ah, I'm aboard, or, you know, I don't even know if this is actually always on a craft per se. It could be in a dimension. But I do know that in many of these crafts, the inside is larger than the outside. But when I get aboard these craft and I get my wits about me and I decide to do what I call simply shift, uh, I'm here and I do this and I shift. I'm on another level. I no longer am able, I am able to do it, but I no longer choose to see individual units or hear individual people talking. I actually am able to go deeper into another level um, where things are not so separate, where things are more unified. I'm in the I'm in the energy vortex, if you will, or the energy energetic ocean kind of thing with all these different beings. And hearing and seeing is something completely different. When I it's like when I'm in this place, everyone I can hear all the chatter, but it's not like murmuring like you would in an auditorium where people are just all starting to talk before the show, right? It's it's a lot more buffered and dampened than that. But I can hear everyone. And if I choose to hear because I'm interested in a conversation over here, I just simply use my will and lean into it. And it's it's there. But being aboard these craft, there are just people everywhere. And most of them are children. There are the, uh, the pilots who are usually adults. But I have come across some of these experiences where the children are truly the commanders of these craft. Have you come across any other humans on these crafts? Yes. Lots of humans. In fact, a lot of they look just like us. And some of them are hybrid, but some of them are actually extraterrestrial before the human aspect. So some, we have some that are human uh, predominantly, and then you can see some alien hybrid in there. And then the same is true on the flip. But I did have an experience many years ago going aboard this craft. As I'm going up a stairwell, when I get to the top of the stairwell, there's a human woman holding a clipboard <laughs> and an ink pen. Hi, Mr. Blanchard. Whatever, and she starts to check me off. Would you sit here? And it seemed to be some sort of uh, lobby, a waiting room. Uh, and she says, I will attend to you shortly. I have some other things I need to take care of. And she came back and attended to me and so forth. But yes, there are human beings aboard these craft. And most of these humans, most of these humans on these craft have never set foot on Earth. They may have had parents that had been on these ships for many, many years. And then, of course, reproduced and had children. Um, but there are children aboard these craft that have never stepped on Earth. So there's races of human beings living on alien crafts that have never been on Earth. Yeah. Do they know? Do they ever have any desire to come to Earth? I mean, are they aware of where they came from? That's a fantastic question, Gary. You know, I can't answer that. But from my experience and my impression they have come to earth. You know, maybe they looked at it from an airplane window and saw, saw the ground down there. I think their level of intelligence is so highly evolved that they understand through um, telepathy or their level of intuition or empathic nature 
that they are, that they're able to sense. And some may want to go, and maybe they do. And some may say, I'm just not interested in that nonsense. <laughs> I really don't know. But that's my impression that they definitely have the gift and the ability to do that as far as the humans uh, hanging out with these, um, aboard these other craft. So who or what is Nucleus 8? Nucleus 8 is an alien-human hybrid, 4,745 years old. I met him in 1998, hanging out at a metaphysical church in Memphis, Tennessee. And a few minutes before the doors were open so we can all be ushered in to have our metaphysical Sunday service, a friend of mine came over to me. She was standing in the front of the line. Um, 60 feet away, whatever. And she starts, she sees me. We, we do one of these far away, hello kind of waves to each other. Hey, how you doing? And she starts bouncing my way. And Laura is a very goofy, funny girl. And she was no different that day. And she says, hey, Keith, you want to meet an alien being? And I thought, that's just Laura. And she said, no, Keith, I'm serious. I was like, wow, she may have something. Let me at least be interested and go see what she's got. Mm-hmm. So microphone. <laughs> So she did one of these things. She said, follow me. So I proceeded to follow Laura. And she brought me up to the backside of a five-foot woman, five-foot-one in stature of a woman. I didn't know what to expect, Gary. I didn't know if an alien was going to hop out from behind the wall and say, nanu, nanu, or, you know, live long and prosper. I didn't know any of that. And she brought, brings me up to the backside of this five-foot-one woman. And she says, Keith, meet Nucleus 8, Nucleus 8, meet Keith Blanchard. And the woman turns around, and I was slammed with a force that could not, and a voice that could not possibly come out of this woman. It's just impossible. This being, I can see, it was seven foot tall, and the voice that came out, the first thing it said was, what do you want from me? What is that? How do you respond to something like that when you first meet somebody? It's, uh, he goes, you want some help with that? I said, sure. He says, you want data. He didn't say friendship. He didn't say you want to share pizza. You want to go watch a movie. You want to go golfing. None of that. It said, you want data. And then he started laughing. He was trying to break the ice. So I befriended this person, persons, because it was nucleus. You know, we know of the subject in spirituality called channeling. Someone sits still and the voice comes through. Mm -hmm. This is completely different. This being is truly superimposed over her. So I begin to hang out with star one, Margie, the five foot one woman, nucleus eight, who lives on a planetary station, mothership station, 27,000 light years away from here on another dimension. And... Margie's husband, Dr. Rex Hare, you can look him up, anyone on the internet, uh, H-A-I-R-E, Dr. Rex Hare, look up his books that are for free about Nucleus 8. They were married because she had all kinds of issues, trauma from from her early life. And she went to Dr. Rex Hare for counseling. <laughs> and the first day he put her in for a session for a light, hip, light hypnosis, just so he can dig around and find out what's happening. The first thing that comes out of. So he puts in a light hypnosis. And the first thing that comes out of Margie is if you think you're going to come in here and monkey with her mind and hurt her like others in her past, I'm going to stop you myself. She was a fairy by the name of Perithnia. Shamans would come in, um, 
archangels would come in and the nucleus came in last. So as I befriended Dr. Rex here and Margie, star one, and nucleus eight, when he would come in, um, he began to do some truly, Gary, truly some phenomenal things to me, through me, in front of me. <laughs> Most people won't even believe as I tell this story. The first thing that happened was after hanging around Dr. Rex and Margie for a while and Nucleus, I was hanging at their house and they said, well, sometime soon uh, we're going to come over and we'll, we'll hang out, watch a movie, whatever. But we're going to do a light hypnosis on you, Keith. Make sure everything's cool. Make sure there's nothing in your way that you want removed from your life. that's just causing you trouble. So Dr. Rex here put me in a light hypnosis. And I mean, I wasn't like drooling at the mouth unconscious. I'm just laying there with my eyes closed. And we went through the gamut uh, of, of his process. And he said, Keith, everything seems to look pretty, pretty clear, man. All right. You happy with the session? I said, sure. He said, I'm going to bring you out. Three, two, one. Hey, Keith. <laughs> I said, what's up, Nicholas? He said, you remember that journey I've been promising? you?" I said, yes. He says, you ready? I said, absolutely. He says, all right, here we go. <clears throat> he says, give me your hand. So I give him my hand. And he says, there's nothing you have to do but let go. I said, all right. Gary begins to pull on my hand. And with his tug, as I'm doing this shirt, my consciousness begins to leave my body through his tug out of my arm. I got out about five feet, saw some things, couldn't make sense of it. And then I slammed back into my body. And he said, because my eyes are closed and I'm on a, a massage table. He re leans over to my ear and he says, what's the matter? I said, dude, I'm trying to figure out what and what not to do to let this happen. He said, that's your problem. You just need to simply let go. He said, I'm going to try again. Back, he starts to pull on my arm and I get out about 20 feet. And this is when I had the experience of, when I say experience, this is not a, a dream, an hallucination. I am cognizant. I'm fully conscious in this craft, 27,000 light years away in another dimension. As I'm walking into this place, the first thing I walk into uh, in this room, if you will, I ask myself, where are all the chairs? All the chairs simply come out the wall. When I was done with the room, when I was done with the thought, every, all the chairs go back into the wall. And he told me, this is what I told him I saw. He said, what did you see? And I explained that to him. He said, this is because we conserve energy on every possible level. And I've, I've seen so much while I'm on the station. In fact, I mean, there's just so much to it. I'd rather tell you another story. And so one night, I get a phone call from Nucleus 8, Margie, but it's Nucleus operating the, the phone, speaking. Hey, Keith, everyone in our group has an implant, but you. That's all right. And now at this time in my life, Gary, I'm starting to like, I think something is really happening here. Because even after that first experience, I, I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. But that part in the mind that's a, you know, this is just nonsense. So he calls me and says, everyone in the group has an implant, but you. They're smaller than you can see. I make them myself and I have one left. Do you want it? Do you want it? I said, convince me. He says, well, if you're lost, we can find you. If you're in trouble, we can help you. If you're sick, we can administer medicine. He named a couple extra perks. I said, what's the drawback? He says, your life is no longer private. No one will have access to your file except me. And I would not go into it knowing that on some level, unless on some level you were calling to me and you needed my assistance. I said, let's do it. Nucleus 8 is head of security for this quadrant of our galaxy. 
He was grown with the intention for that position. Hence his name, Nucleus 8. Nucleus, the center of security. And 8 is his number on a board of, I think it's 12. As to why no one would have access to my file. So I said, I'm interested. He said, the next time you and I speak, Keith, this will be implanted. Be it we speak in person be <laughs> or over the phone, you will have an implant. I said, sure. Well, that night I'll go to the casino being a professional musician. I play music for years, but that night I played seven sets and that's tiring to come back to the house, just wanting to go to sleep. I don't care about dreaming much less about what I'm still not sure yet is real, but 6.30 in the morning, I come to a state of full-blown consciousness in my dreamscape by this excruciating pain in my right kidney region. And of course, when there's said pain happening, you want to at least see who's administering, right? So I look over my right shoulder and there's the equivalent of what I would say would be like an 85-year-old woman in our terms. So in their terms, it has to be 6,000, whatever years old. She's cradling me and she's going, see the boy. This is telepathic. She says, Keith, on some level, you went to this idea that there would be pain involved. And so Congratulations, you're right. And she begins to walk me over towards what we would call lawn, lawn furniture, where Nucleus 8 is laying on um, a bench, uh, a bed lawn furniture, the long ones that you just lie down on. And because this pain was so intense, in this experience, I began to vomit. Gary, this happened. Microphone. So, Gary, this happened. As I'm walking to Nucleus 8 and vomiting all over his feet, my phone in my actual bedroom rings. Hello. Hey, Keith, what's happening? Nucleus. Dude, I just had a dream about you. He goes, no, you didn't. I said, man, don't tell me. I just had a dream about you. He said, Keith, you were not dreaming at all. I said, are you sure about that? He says, the vomit all over my feet tells me so. Wow. <laughs> and so I have story after story after story, one with a fairy. He said, you know, myself and my girlfriend walking down the road with him and Laura. Him, Marjorie, he's in the body. Hey, guys, have you ever seen a fairy before? My girlfriend says, no, I haven't. She says, Keith, is this for real? I said, I think we're about to see a fairy. <laughs> so he says about 60 feet down on the road on the right, uh, we're going to meet a fairy by the name, the same fairy by the name of Perithnia. And no kidding. He walks directly up to this plant and raises up a leaf. And there's a globule of light about the size of a marble sitting there, glowing. And he's having communication with him. When he talks, it would just sit there as a steady white light. And when he would stop talking, it would, continue, it would start pulsing back as if it was communicating in this realm. But Nucleus 8, he's an alien-human hybrid. His father was an Egyptian king. His mother was a bad alien gray, bad. In fact, he had to end her existence himself. Um, there's just so much surrounding the story. And if anyone wants uh, to know more about my experience, but more so with Dr. Rex Hare, his 15-year experience living with Marjorie, because it was his wife. She's now, now they're divorced. She's living in Egypt, go figure. Um, they still have a beautiful friendship. Uh, look up Dr. Rex Hare, Hare with the E at the end, and look up aliens, Indians, fairies, and angels. There are two or three free books, and he'll tell you the whole Kit and Kaboodle about this presence. The last time I spoke with Nucleus 8 was about three three years ago. He's busy. He's He literally roams the galaxy policing it, he and his team. Hmm. 
Did Nucleus 8 have any message for humanity? You know, that's a good question. Out of all the years and times I've had the opportunity to hang out with him, he never really per se gave me a global overview humanity message, except that I would say if I can make a message that I think he would support, I'll say, yeah, I'll go over there, is nothing is as it seems. Nothing at all is as it seems. He has awareness. He can monitor six dimensions simultaneously. He's sort of like a security guard looking at all these cameras in the parking lot, right? So he can find out where things are not gelling and nonsense is happening. So he can send out a team and most likely he would be on the team himself. Um, do you remember many years ago? Oh, wow. 1998 is when I met him. Shortly after 1998, let's say between 98 and 2000, that Star Wars honed in on something in the atmosphere and it shot a laser beam to it. Uh, I, I can do the research and send it to you later. It's just been that many years. Mm -hmm. That was him trying to come into, our, no, that was him coming into our space, into Dr. Rex and Marty's house. Uh, he would just simply just show up. Um, not necessarily as a physical being, but he would show up and playing in the movement of energy in the house. But um, when these beings come through these portals, there's such a burst of gamma ray energy that the Star Wars program, the, the satellites up there, will actually uh, hone in on it and send a, a, a laser pulse to destroy it because they know what it is that's happening. And he said, Keith, in fact, he called me that night. He said, that was a close one. I said, what are you talking about? And he says, you'll see it on the news tomorrow. And sure enough, there it was. So the government knows about these beings? I'm sorry, ask that again, please. The government knows about these beings? A lot of the government are these beings, the not so good ones. <laughs> and this is true. This, you know, it's true everywhere. I mean, we're not all from Earth, if you will. And, you know, I hear people all the time saying, I'm a star seed from Sirius. I get all that, but that's not really it. We're, we're, we've been everywhere. This is not our first rodeo. We've all bounced around the cosmos to learn, to upgrade, to grow. And for everyone on this rock that's spinning, fortunate to be in this game. No one has access to what I spoke about earlier, the opportunity ascension until you are born of the earth. Every being in the universe wants, can aspire to be human, but it is only through human birth that God can be realized. The Jesus is in us, the Jesus in us can be illumined. The Buddha in us can be illumined. But they do know about this. In fact, that's hello 2020 lockdown. They don't want you to get anywhere near conscious power because all they want are earthly thrones. They are satisfied with earthly thrones. They don't require any anything else. And so not all of the now when I say some of these people in these factions and these systems and the establishment or beings wrapped in a human skin that look like a lizard underneath, that is not what I'm implying at all. Many of these beings are being influenced on another level of consciousness because of those qualities you mentioned earlier, Gary, the fear, the jealousy, the anger, the hate, the selfishness, the greed. Well, these kinds of qualities stop them, just like the aliens that are trapped here, from getting to a higher level. But they don't care about getting to a higher level. But they are susceptible to influences come in. You know, scripturally, they call them demons. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that these people are demonic, but they are being influenced by another consciousness. So if the earth was created for humans, if the earth was created for humans, anything's pro-humanity is divine. Anything that is not pro-humanity, uh, pro anti-humanity 
has to be another race or another consciousness or another intelligence that is trying to infiltrate this system. And it's done a pretty good job as we look out and about all around, around the world, especially at this time. So, yes, a lot of these people in seats of power, that's exactly what it is. They are sitting in power and they love it. Is there any way to get rid of them? Love. Love. And it's not like, well, Keith, how can I just give them a back massage when they just killed God many people? I don't know the answers. I just follow the law. And the law is when you love, it doesn't mean you have to agree. It means it is there. There's nothing we can do about it being there. Fighting, as we talked about earlier, only exacerbates the problem. It's watering the weed and not the plant. So what we do is we learn how to forgive. We give something and only not only do we rise, we help them as well rise above. Because if it's truly about love, God, the universe igniting and if it's truly about God, love, peace, and the universe universe firing off into this amazing infinite light, forgiveness is a very integral part of that program. Because in forgiveness, not only do we lift ourselves, as I said, we lift others. Well, Keith, don't they deserve some kind of punishment? That's very dangerous ground. Because people who believe in a punishing God will turn around and believe people who do bad things need to be punished. And that's part of one's own punishment is the belief that will constantly bog them down in quicksand. So how do we make them go away? We just don't give it any more attention. We give it attention. They love that. They know they have our attention. And so we need to put our attention on something else, something that's beautiful and stop fighting. When we realize that we are the collective many and stand up, the board game simply falls over and all the pawns on it simply in the game's over. But people still buy into the rhetoric. Wow. That seems like a tough thing to happen at this particular time in our society, in our world. It's a tall order. And it's for those who want to step up. And it's okay if anyone doesn't. There's no right or wrong of it. It's just what do, does a person choose? Do you want to live in a world of absolute sharing and joy? Or do we want to live in a world of constantly judging and condemning and beating people up because of supposed bad things that we think we're doing? Those people, those, quote, bad people in the world right now are bringing me lots of joy because it is showing me completely by contrast the nonsense that I want no part of. And in so doing, I'm able to reach deeper levels of quality and beauty and power, real power that lives within me. So I step out into the world. It's like, ugh, this is not so good. The girlfriend that left me many years ago, ah, this is not so good. But in hindsight, it's the most amazing thing that happened to me. But I've done so much work that I don't have to wait many years down the line to look back in hindsight and go, ah, that was an amazing thing. I can see all the horrid, horrible stuff that's happening now to see as the unfolding of the possibility of a flower. And so I've learned to get out of the way and let that flower do its thing by not projecting what I think is right or wrong or beneficial or non-beneficial. I just simply sit back and observe it. But I never let the world outside dictate my inner peace. Never. I do sometimes. <laughs> but that's, that is the pinnacle. That's the mark. I am a rock. I am unbudgeable. I am comfortable. The world can bitch all it wants. I'm quiet. How do you do that? It's really not a way of telling. I can give an idea verbally. 
again, goes back to the same principle. One has to want it. Well, how do I get that? That's not your job. A person's job is not how. A person's job is simply desiring it. Meditation, learning to be quiet. For pe- It took me a long time to stop talking about things. My mentor would say, Keith, shh, stop talking. But I got something to say. He says, do you really? He says, I hear lots of utterances coming out of your mouth, but you're really saying nothing at all. <laughs> I didn't like it too much, but when I finally got it, I was quiet for a week. I wanted to live in that quiet. And so, you know, Einstein asked a very powerful question. When we look out to the universe, do we see a hostile one or a peaceful one? And he says, whatever your answer is, will determine the rest of your life until you make a new choice. Can a person change their mind? Can we go back and forth, like flipping, like, oh, you know, one day, yeah, the universe looks good. Then I wake up another day and I'm like, ah, no, don't look so good. And, <laughs> and, and just kind of keep going back and forth, making myself or anybody's self crazy with it. Well, that is the human dynamic, isn't it? You know, some people we say, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but you had a good week, you know, five days before. Yeah, and we all have some touch of this bipolarism, but it's to find yourself as the center. I can I can share with you, uh, the audience, what is one particular way to find center? You find center by realizing that the center of your chest, which is really not the center of your chest, but it gives us a point. The center of your chest, if you're a Christian, he calls Jesus called it the sacred heart. Uh, many people call it the cosmic womb. In other words, there's a doorway that lives in our heart that takes us to the divine and from the divine to earth. As we move through the divine cosmic birth canal, which looks like your mother, however old you are many years ago. This place, that readily available place that lives in all of us, is a fire. In that fire is everything. And in that place that place creates worlds and universes, and it lives in you. So how do you find center? If you could sit in a room with your eyes open or in the world with your eyes open, walk around and be a ghost. You can't interact. Nobody can see you. And you can actually do this. Just cloak yourself. But for the, for the person's sake who's going to play this game or use this technique, just be a ghost. Walk around the world. You can't inter- Do not interact. Just learn. Take it all. And you do this for a couple of three days to a week. Your whole level of awareness and perception will change. And you will find yourself centered in that space. In this space, when this all began to happen for me, Gary, the girlfriend left. I was in dark night of the sofa two years. I had enough. I found a way that I can share with the audience. If you can do this, whoever you are, you will have immediate success. I'm the guy next door. I'm a musician. When the, when the set's over and I'm taking a break, if I don't know you and I want to come sit next to you and say, thank you for hanging out with the band, I'm going to dig in your French fry basket, even though I don't know you. I'm just going to <laughs> and make myself at home. So I'm the guy next door. And so when this began to go down, I had, when this began to go down and I had enough, I got on my physical knees, but also inside, I got on my metaphorical knees and I launched a prayer, a very fervent prayer from a place of absolute burning passion. That prayer was, I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your voice. I need to hear your voice. But I came from this very passionate place. Passion is number one. Sincerity is number two. Passion is the fire. It's the active. It's to get in there and 
fix your car and you're getting your fingernails dirty, rolling up your sleeves kind of thing. Sincerity is the passive, which is, I need to fix my car. I'm serious. I mean it. That's sincerity. Third place I came from at the same time was humility. I don't know squat. I'm humble. I'm on my knees. Enter, please. And the, finally, number four would be vulnerability. Exposing yourself to something you've never known before. That can be scary. Change can be, it is scary for all human beings. And so with these four components, passion, sincerity, humility, and vulnerability, is how I found the seat of my soul, God. Everything that can be any, was, is, or can ever be anything is in that center point. It's not really an explanation. It's something someone has to, it's a trial by fire. Again, you have to die. You have to toss your egoic nonsense, your beliefs about things that were simply just taught to you and you really don't know the truth. It all has to be tossed into the fire. When you do, you will find your path. You will find your way. Hmm. Sounds, um, I don't know, painful. Pain is an amazing catalyst. It, it's the re opposite reflection. Of, it's the reflection of joy. It's a contrast of joy. I never would have known the level of joy I have in my life right now if I didn't know the level of not only pain when that girl left, self-induced suffering. When you hit your foot on the furniture and you break your pinky toe, that's pain. But when you turn that within itself and go, God, I'm so stupid. I knew that was there. It becomes suffering. <laughs> There's a huge difference between pain and suffering. Yeah. Suffering is self-induced. Yeah. I often heard that saying, um, pain is necessary, suffering is optional. Yeah. That's, that's it. And so, but the path is painful. You know, I had a kidney stone many years ago. I, no, I trust me. Sucks. I didn't want a I kidney know. stone. You had one before. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want that kidney stone. And when I went to a bout one day for eleven hours, I was an eleven hour, an eleven hour bout with this stone and up. But I had learned some spiritual techniques by my mentor. <clears throat> so in this eleven hour episode, I'm laying on the bed, and it was painful. And then I found myself equating my pain to suffering, meaning it hurts. Am I going to die? And is death the end? When I realized all this nonsense that I was having an unconscious level because of a simple kidney stone, which is painful, mind you, the pain completely stopped. I even had a strainer. I strained my urine. There was never a stone to be revealed. But the idea is we equate pain to suffering and suffering to death and death being the end. And you can, even, you can possibly even ask someone. No. Do you feel this way? And they say, no, I don't. I love life. You keep digging a little bit or just hang out with them for a while. And they will reveal things to you that they're just the opposite, that they truly have a fear of death. Most people don't really have a fear of death. They have a fear of regret that they don't, they have not actually allowed themselves to live. You go to a convalescent home and speak to a 90 year old person that they'll tell you about their life. They're ready to go. <laughs> they had a full life. They just ready to go, but it can be painful. I mean, I have more of a fear of life than I do of dying. I'm not afraid of dying at all. Yeah, it doesn't bother me so much. I'm just not so interested in how it may go down. <laughs> oh. I want to go down like 
fighting a shark or something good. I don't want to die in a hospital bed of cancer. You know, I, I want it to be like a glorious death, like Quinn and Jaws. What's that uh, social media meme going around as a tiger? Um, just know that the last thing I sent to this tiger before he ate me was, come here, kitty, kitty. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you can't, you mentioned your spiritual mentor a couple of times. Who is that? The guy that I referred to is named Mike Matheson. Uh, he lived here in Memphis for, in fact, he's from here. And broke my heart because he, he gave me something, showed me something. Um, he said, Keith, you don't have to believe anything I'm telling you. Practice it for a week and watch what happens. He said, Will you, what are you willing to do to have peace? I said, I'll eat dog shit if that's what it takes. He said, well, there's a big old pile. Analogously, I was serious about it. And I didn't necessarily believe anything he said. But that day, that week, that month, that year, my life turned completely within itself. And I everything just became miraculous. He lives in Sherwood Forest in England now. His name is Mike Matheson. This guy has a presence about him so powerful. He doesn't have to say anything. Let's say we're eating food in a restaurant and it's a table big enough to sit eight or 10 people. He can just sit there quiet and people start fidgeting. <laughs> it's a very cerebral guy, but he was very connected. So connected that if you spoke to him, like, you know, you asked him a question over the, over the meal, whatever it may be, he'll actually lean towards you and, into your space and look look at you. He's not trying to invade your space. He's truly trying to connect with you. And in such connecting with people, they don't know what to do with that because they never had someone give them that level of attention. And they often feel invaded or violated, which he is absolutely not doing at all. He's actually supporting said person in such a way that he's giving them his undivided attention because he can see. He can see beyond... But some of these other mentors, if you will, are these divine men from India. You know, Jesus is one. I mean, this is why I'm wearing this garb. It's just a reflection of my spirituality. But uh, one was Sathya Sai Baba from India who came to me in a dream, said, come to India. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from a lady I never met, giving me a free first-class trip, trip ticket round trip. So I went to India. And another is a man by the name of Sri 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 Bhagavan Viswamji Viswa Yogi Maharaj, we just call him Swamsey for short, who I'm able to be in physical proximity with at least once a year. God on earth. I mean, he if he wanted right now, wherever level of spirituality he's sitting in the universe, he can just divert him or direct himself to you and I, Gary, and know exactly what we're doing, what we're talking about. Call me and say, hey, Keith, I heard you talking to Gary. And <laughs> but these beings are powerful. I mean, they have full-blown awareness. They understand what happens beyond time. They understand why things are happening in this time and what is likely going to come about depending on who chooses to wake up. So these God-realized men, they really don't know the future. It's our show. They can see the, prox the, pros the possibility of what can come out of it on both sides of the spectrum. Good and, good and bad, hot or cold, right or wrong, in and out, up or down. Um, so everything is always a possibility waiting to happen. And so, and in such a way, this outside world that's making all this noise is my teacher. It's a possibility waiting to happen. Yeah, life is definitely a teacher for all of us. <laughs> I, I, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, how, 
like, like, are there others like you out there that that are here trying to Dear do God, what I you're hope doing? not. <laughs> uh, I get the question. I was just being funny. Yeah, I mean, there are people everywhere. People, when you say like me, I appreciate your thought. But there, there are many people awakening, be it in small strides or huge steps, leaps and bounds. Um, it's really about becoming conscious, becoming to a level, coming to a level of awareness, which is beyond everything we were taught, which is beyond the words. When I hang out with people, I can sit and listen to you and hear you and understand you. I can equally, powerfully, without a doubt, understand everything you didn't say. Everything you wanted to say, but chose another word. I can see and hear all that. And so when you do the inner work, as those mentors I just mentioned, Mike, Baba, Swamji, there are faculties in us that begin to open up. The ears begin to open up on level. And then they open up to a level beyond we would actually call it the ears in its hearing ability. Same with the seeing capacity. Same with the feeling capacity. You begin to intuit, know things. How do you know? I don't know that I, how I know. I just know that I know. Well, how do you know that you know? Because it begins to validate itself in the outside world. The level of seeing, you take some, you know, music, you actually begin to see music as color. And so there are all these benefits to the expanding human being who choose to illuminate and wake up. And there are people everywhere. I mean, there are truly people everywhere illuminated, holding the light down on the earth, um, helping to create a stability while the world and the outside of it is wobbling, just creating all this ruckus. So does that mean that you can read my mind? No, doesn't necessarily mean that. Doesn't mean it's see for me, it's not about reading minds. It's I can be intuitive and see what's happening in a said person's life. But it's not about me going into your mind and pulling out a nugget, mm -hmm. because that is quite invasive. The reason you wouldn't divulge such a thing in the first place is because you don't want it known. And I get everybody, a lot of people say, ah, dad's a scapegoat. He's not for real. Well, that's okay that you feel that way about me. It doesn't matter. But I can see on levels that most people can't. Many people can see on levels that most people can't. Um I read body language. I don't so, even have to look so, at you. So what do you see when you look at me? Curiosity. Wonderment. Taking in information. I see absolute curiosity and wonderment. Wow. Wow. In fact, that was some of your words you used tonight. Wow, cool. And I get all of that. Um, you know, I, when I look at people, if, if I want to see something, I don't necessarily look at a body part. I step back within myself. And I can take it all in. I take it, like I said, what they say, what they don't say. Why did they turn their head to the right when they said a certain thing about the wife or the husband? And the, what was their next move? What were their next words? I just see. And I, I can I can go back and say, well, it's because I saw you look at your wife or your husband when you said things and you scratched your nose, which tells me you don't want to be seen because you have a self-complex. I don't have to explain all that. My mind doesn't have to explain all that to myself. I just see it. I don't know how I see it. I just know that these are codes. It's a language. You know, when you hear someone tell you, when you hear someone tell you something in English, we don't go through the, the trip or the dance of, well, how do I know that that's what it means? We don't go back to the dictionary and analyze every word that was said. We just take it that this is the language. Likewise, this is how I do it as well as other people. It's simply a level of awareness. You know, I don't know if we have enough time, but I can do an awareness exercise that will blow everybody wide open right here, right now. How long does it take? A minute? Oh, yeah, we've got time. I need some water. So everyone, 
if you're listening to this broadcast, find whatever's in front of you. Stay focused on it. I wish you could see me, this handsome guy. <laughs> I wish you could see me, but it's irrelevant. Whatever you are uh, looking at in front of you, just stay fixed. Relax your focus, but also relax yourself. Just relax. Still, chill. Just be. Just Right? One of those kinds of postures. And as you are looking forward, become aware of the taste in your mouth. Don't judge it. Just be aware. Don't even label it. Is it metallic? You can tell yourself that, but don't label it. Just be aware of the taste in your mouth. Maybe it's the food you ate. Maybe it's the fact that you're hungry. Whatever it is, just be aware of the taste in your mouth. Now be aware of the temperature on your skin. Just be aware. It's not hot or cold, warm or, warm or cool. It's just the temperature on your skin. Become aware of my voice. The part of you that is listening to this voice is the part of you that has always been, is now, and forever will exist. As you are still looking forward, become aware of the light sources around you. Use your peripheral, and you'd simply just see them. In fact, you can even intuit what's behind you. Well, but Keith, I know it's behind me because I, I own the house. You can intuit, you can feel it. So you have the taste in your mouth, the temperature on your skin. Focus on your hearing as you hear this voice. Focus on the light sources around you. You've done all these things because I directed your awareness to each focal point. Taste in your mouth, taste in mouth. Temperature on your skin, feel the temperature. You hear my voice and peripheral. Do all of those at the same time and watch what happens. Taste in your mouth, temperature on your skin, sound of my voice, and the peripheral experience around you. If you can open up your awareness to experience all of those simultaneously, that is your gate home to God, to infinity, to the cosmic sandbox, to the garden, to forever. How was it for you, Gary? Did you have an experience? It kind of felt like everything around me was dissolving. <laughs> that's it. That's that's the space when I, the space when I told you I get aboard these craft, and the reality disappears, and I'm in the sea of energy. That's mm -hmm. exactly what it is, and I'm sure most everyone had at least a glimmer or a small glimpse. Fantastic. Well, Keith, I'm not sure that you have to want it, and if you keep treading and ex practicing, ex practice expanding said awareness. See, I can do it immediately because I've been doing it for such a long time. You're automatically there. When you begin to open up this level of awareness, Gary, is when you're able to read that language for the last few minutes I've been describing. Excuse me, that I've been describing that you get to, you are now able to see things that most people can't and hear things that most people can't and intuit things that most people can't. It's this level of awareness, that dissolving of things around you that you described. And there is all the information. Hmm. Interesting. And now I'm kind of cold too. <laughs> Damn temperature. I like it on the warm side. Yeah, I do too. Right. That was weird. It's pretty cool. So we are greater than we think. In fact, we can't think of the greatness that we are. It's impossible. The mind will always sully and soil that which we are. So what is the greatest thing in the universe? Go look in the mirror. 
there is no other answer. <laughs> hmm. In the extraterrestrials, they know that. They want to be here. They're here to support humanity, but they cannot violate. Same thing with Nucleus 8. When he pulled me out the second time, I said, do it again. He says, no, Keith, I can't. I said, why? He says, some part of you is holding on, and I cannot and will not violate your free will. That's why I've never been violated on any of the experiences I've ever had. He says, I can't violate your free will. Nor can angelic beings, nor can any God-realized men, nor can these high-level civilizational, civilizational, or made up a new word, civilizations, um, and the occupants of these higher level technology craft, they won't, they will not impinge on the, on human free will. Now, if we leave a door open, they will squeeze in as much as they can. They will suggest, they will support, they will nurture, but they just simply can't come in and say, we're going to get out all the bad people for you. So the world, this is all by choice. We've been given the beautiful gift of free will and it's up to us collectively to create. I mean, there's a lot of nonsense in the universe. Can we be the rock stars? We are the rock stars that everyone wants a piece of. So your, your human birth is considered the highest honor in the entire universe, no matter who you are, even in your nonsense and folly. Hmm. That's true for everyone? Without a doubt. Even those bad people playing in the arena of the establishment, they have, they have a role to play. You know, when we go see a movie, uh, the Matrix, we don't scoff at the Agent Smith. We just said, what a freaking awesome movie that was. You know, we're happy for Neo. We're happy for the villain because without the villain, there'd be no Neo. And so now when it comes to the person playing the, the bad person playing the role, when it comes to the bad people playing the bad roles, there are karmic attributes. There are karmic effects that will return. But God, it will use everything and everyone as a pawn. So we really don't have free will. You do, but you don't. The only free will we really have is to become conscious of the divine will or not. That's the only free will. We Everything else is just smaller branches or tributaries and choices we make. You know, this, that, or the other, this, that, or the other, this, that, or the other. But ultimately, is am I choosing to be in the flow consciously or am I choosing to not be in the flow? So it's easier just to ride this out than it is to claw our way through life. Yeah, we can use this analogy. You know, you're on a raft. Many people are trying to, they're damned us to get upstream. Nothing we want is upstream. Salmon go upstream, I understand, to spawn, but equally to be eaten by a bear. There's nothing we want upstream. There's no effort involved. When we simply put the oars down, we don't have to turn ourselves around. Just put the oars down. The current will turn you. And down with the stream we go, because there is a conscious life stream. It's what is giving us not only the movement of life, that's what we see outside, the fact that we are able to sit here and have time together, the fact that I'm able to eat, there's something, there's an energy always moving by a will, putting, spinning things into some form of existence. There is a current, there is a universal current, and it, there's only one way. And everything moves with the current. How can something oppose the universal God, whatever word we choose, how can anything oppose that current? It's only that we can use a raft to go down the river and have a lot of fun, or we can become the stone that hinders the river and become like rapids and cause nothing but trouble, turmoil, rapids in our life. So we try to buck the current. It's called karma, and we get it. Slapped across the head. And also said karma, when we do consciously get in the river, mm -hmm. we get beautiful karma and the heart expands. So spirituality has never been hard. 
you can follow your deity, by all means, follow your deity. No one's ever trying to change you or should ever take that away from you because it is a signpost and or a roadmap that leads you to the place ultimately that you want to be. So when people, when I would speak with a lot of people, Gary, and I've spoken to a lot of people over the course of my life, for example, they say, so-and-so deity is going to save me. I love the idea. It's not how, the, that's not the way it works. If said person does not choose said deity, nothing happens. So primarily, ultimately, the person chooses to save themselves. Because as long as we're in a drowning swimming pool and we ask to be saved, or we don't ask to be saved, someone throwing us a life preserver all we want, we just sit there and just look at the life preserver and still drown. But it's in our asking that allows the ability to see that help has arrived. So it's all about empowering yourself because ultimately you're, you're your only savior. We look out into the world, we see disease, people we don't get along with, a horrible job, this and that, this, that, and the other, and all of these different attributes of things we don't like. Well, it simply comes back to the common denominator. Who's the common denominator in all of this dance? And it comes back ultimately to yourself. And so the person who realizes that the game, the joke has been on them since they fell unconscious however long ago. The way out of the game is to realize, I just don't want to play it anymore. And it takes a person to a level of self-responsibility that there is nothing beyond my capacity to change. I need to change myself. If I truly want something to a level of bliss that I've never known, then one has to fashion themselves and make themselves ready to receive the grace of infinite bliss. There is no other way. Wow. Simply is no other way. A person has to open the floodgate <laughs> within themselves. Oof, that was heavy, man. <laughs> so, uh, I think on that note, before we wrap this up, where can people find you and find your book? Gary, thank you for having me on this beautiful platform, sir. It was a joy to hang out with you and share space. You can find me at keithanthonyblanchard.com or centeroflightradio.com. You can find me also on YouTube at Center of Light Radio, youtube.com slash Center of Light Radio. Uh, on Facebook, you find me at Keith A. I think there's a period, Blanchard, Keith A. Blanchard. I love hanging out with people. People send me inbox stuff all the time. I respond to everyone. I'm a guy next door. I love people. I just love people. Um, if you go to my website, keithanthonyblanchard.com or centerofflightradio.com, it's packed. There's lots of free movies that I've created. Lots of audio, every radio episode as a host that I've done, everything I've done as a teacher one-on-one, -on -one, I usually do uh, on Facebook as well as YouTube, these online presentations. If, for example, someone, I look in the social media stream and people are talking about depression. I see a lot of depression happening. I, depression, I want my life back is the name of this title. And I'll talk for an hour, an hour and a half and truly do this by donations only. And I've been doing this for like seven years, almost every night. And I love it. It's truly my life, the rest of my life. So I'm approachable. Come in and say hi. And uh, let's become Broham and Sistars. <laughs> All right. Well, I will post those links in the notes to this episode so my listeners can check you out. And if I may also, my new bestseller, Homecoming Cross on the Bridge to the Soul. You can go to Amazon and look up Keith Anthony Blanchard, Homecoming Cross on the Bridge to the Soul. It went bestseller just exactly a year ago. And um, you can also leave me a review there. And you can find the rest of my books there by perusing Keith Anthony Blanchard. So thank you, Gary. I appreciate you greatly, sir. Thank you. It was a great interview. And hang on for one moment while I play the outro. Peace.
t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Thank you.